You're listening to the news on RTHK. Big banks. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotra-Hora. The euro fell amid concerns over Greece. Asian stock futures are mixed after U.S. shares retreated with treasuries. And China Business News is reporting that Alibaba's financial arm will sell wealth management products with China-Orient Asset Management. Well, fears that a resolution to Greece's financial woes is not in sight and a dip in energy shares led to an easing in U.S. shares overnight, while the euro weakened against the dollar. We'll discuss more on markets this morning with Francis Lunn of GEO Securities. And after yesterday's meeting of the Eurogroup uh, ministers, we'll discuss whether it's a make-or-break moment for Greece. That's with uh, Ecognos' advisories. Andrew Ferris getting tongue-tied there. Peter Churchhouse, author of the Churchhouse newsletter, joins us as guest host today. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Renita. So wealth management products on Alibaba, what do you think? Well, they were bound to do that at some stage. Just about everybody's getting into the financial sector these days uh, because basically banks are being regulated out of the industry. So you're finding every small tech company and every consultancy is is getting into that sector, which I think poses its own regulatory risks in the longer term. Uh, but you're seeing that today, for example, Morgan Stanley has just sold its uh, uh, oil trading business, again, partly because of regulatory concerns, but it's going to a hedge fund and, and uh, private equity group, which are not regulated. So uh, I'm not surprised by this Alibaba thing at all. Peter, what kind of uh, regulatory concerns do you think uh, this kind of uh, shift to an online uh, MO poses in the future? Well, at the moment, of course, in the banking system, and there are very uh, powerful regulations about um, uh, representations you make to clients, particularly to private clients, uh, and uh, and that's also the same with the traditional uh, money market fund management systems that we see conventionally in all the banks. The moment you put that into a context like an Alibaba and online, the, the, these companies are not regulated in the same way. They are not financial institutions that are brought under the regulations of the SEC or the SFC or the FSA. So there's a lot of risk of uh, perhaps mis-selling and, and, uh, and activities which perhaps wouldn't be, uh, wouldn't be even tolerated in the financial services sector as it stands right now. All right. Well, more to be seen as we go along. Um, Royal Dutch Shell has won U.S. approval to resume oil exploration this year off of Alaska's Arctic coast. This is after regulators imposed safety conditions meant to avoid the mishaps that plagued the company's efforts three years ago. Here's a former Shell Oil president, John Hoffmeister. I think the biggest part of this deal is for American consumers to find out if they're actually going to be able to tap into natural resources uh, in the Arctic. I think the future in the 2030s and 2040s of this century will very much depend upon access to new sources such as what this represents. So, yes, it's a big deal from a national security standpoint, from a consumer standpoint, and I'm very happy to hear the news. 
Signs that the U.S. shale oil production is recovering sent oil prices lower, causing the energy sector to weigh the most on the S&P 500. The Dow fell 86 points yesterday to 18,105. The S&P 500 also slid half a percent to 2,105, while the Nasdaq closed at 4,993, down one-fifth of a percent. And concerns are mounting over a bond market route in the U.S. U.S. Treasuries tumbled by the most in two months as investors become more reluctant about adding new securities. All this while the three-week sell-off in the global sovereign debt markets accelerates. Bloomberg's uh, Lisa (laughs) Abramowitz talks about the impact of short-term rates moving away from the Fed's mandate. What happens if rates basically get so low, regardless of what the Fed does? And all those people who are putting their money into money market funds are basically potentially losing money if rates get negative as they did last week. And what's happening is all of these new regulations are kind of coming together with sort of this search for safety around the world. And there's just this glut of cash being piled into these short term bonds, these three month bonds. And it's causing a real kind of supply-demand imbalance that's leading to yields going negative in the U.S. on this short-term debt last, last week alone. So the Dow fell 86 points yesterday, as we said, but Bloomberg's Michael Reagan doesn't think there'll be too much of a long-term impact on stocks. Obviously, the stock market tends to look at the longer term rates on treasuries a little bit more closely, your your 10-year and your 30-year. And really looking, if if you find someone that claims there still is value left to be found in the the, uh, stock market, it usually is on a relative basis to the bond market. Yields are still so low that, you know, uh, stocks' dividend yields are attractive to, um, you know, compared to 10-year Treasury yields. And interest rates are still low enough that companies can borrow money to buy back stocks. So the, the T-bills, I don't see a, a, too much of a ripple effect into the market, but obviously the longer-term rates are an issue. J.P. Morgan private bank's Philip Guaco says that when it comes to U.S. high yield, things look pretty good. The U.S. high yield market has actually held up very well in spite of this backup in treasuries over the past couple of weeks and is actually up almost 4% for the year. Um, so, you know, there, there are some parts that are doing worse and some parts are doing better. Ironically, it's the risk-free assets, the sovereigns, the U.S. Treasury that are doing worse because rates have gone up. But credit markets in terms of high yield uh, and even emerging markets debt are actually doing fine for investors. So what is the event risk then of, uh, you know, through central banks rising? What would be the effect of high yield then? The question is, would we see a repeat of 2013? So with the taper tantrum in 2013, the rates rose up enough to a point where it actually started affecting credit markets and you had a major sell-off in EM and also a high uh, sell-off in U.S. high yield. That hasn't happened yet. And I think one of the reasons why it hasn't, or the the fact that it hasn't happened is actually one of the reasons why I'm a little bit more constructive on rates kind of settling down now. Now, if the credit markets had decided, you know what, I'm out of here because mm-hmm. this is going to be a permanent thing, you know, we'd be more worried. But is it technical? We're thinking still that perhaps it is and that we're going to find some point in the next week or two. So, Peter, a bond market route in the U.S., yet uh, high yield might be looking okay. Some confusion there. Can you help dissect this for our listeners? 
Well, I think when we look at this question about yield and relative yield between stock markets and bond markets, I think it's important to realize that uh, uh, so many investors these days are looking for yield uh, because you can't get it in the banks, even in bond markets, it's very low. But if we look in the U.S., only 40 percent of stocks in the U.S. give you a dividend yield higher than the 10-year Treasury. In the U.K., France, and Germany, it's 80 to 90 percent of stocks give you a higher yield than the 10 years. So uh, you've got a much better uh, yield uh, relationship in Europe uh, than you have in the U.S. between stocks and bonds. But on the high yield side, uh, I, I still think that there's a, a lot of interesting uh, stuff in the Asian high yield market, for example. Uh, when I look at a lot of the bonds of companies that I follow and look at in China, I think their risk of default is extremely low, but they're trading at 9, 10, 11% uh, yields. So I, I think there are lots of interesting opportunities, particularly in, in Asia and high yield. All right, great. Let's uh, bring in our first guest this morning, Francis Lun. Hey, good is, morning. Good morning, Francis. Uh, great to have you back on the show. Yes. Um, so, Francis, we've got you know this three-week sell-off in sovereign debt. We've got surging yeah. U.S. Treasury yields, Greece. Um, yeah. Yet some interesting opportunities, as Peter says, perhaps in, you know, the Chinese high yield market. But what combination of all of this, if any, is affecting (laughs) Asian futures this morning, which are mixed? Well, I think uh, if you're talking about the China market, nothing really matters other than government policy. I think uh, the investors decided that the government uh, does not want the the stock market rally to, to die. And so that's why the uh, Asia market surged 3% yesterday, although uh, the Hong Kong uh, market's rather, uh, reaction is rather muted. So, so I expect the Asia uh, to surge again, and then now it's 4,400, and it could soon go to 5,000. And then the Hong Kong market could uh, go to uh, 30,000. Go ahead, Peter. Yeah, uh, Francis, do, do you really see the China market as a bubble right now? No, well, of course, it is a bubble. It's a it's a mad bull market. People are devoid devoid of their senses. You have uh, one, I think, for the uh, uh, for 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 the gem board in in Samsung, the uh, PE yeah. is uh, one hundred and two. That's right. And then for most of these shares, actually, the PE is over forty times. So if you don't call that bubble, I don't know what is. But a lot of the a lot of the smokestack industry stocks and the bank stocks yeah. are still trading it, uh, and and certainly the property sector is still trading at single or low double digit yeah. multiples. So that's not a bubble there, but well, certainly in other sectors, particularly media and technology. Yeah, very media much so. technology also. Infrastructure, infrastructure uh, yeah. ridiculous uh, uh, evaluation. Mm-hmm. But, but but when you talk about uh, mainland banks, their their growth for for the first quarter was something like one or two percent. So so it it is right to have uh, like a five or six time PE for mm-hmm. the mainland banks. Yeah, but banks around the world uh, typically trade at book value or above. Yeah, uh, Chinese banks uh, and these are the biggest banks in the world. Let's yeah, face that's it, right. and they're not going to go bust. The Chinese government ain't yeah, going to let these companies not, go but, bust. But, but, but actually, I, I, I don't trust their balance sheet or their income statement because they always understate that their bad debts by very substantial margin. So, so you cannot trust their figures. So yes. Francis, you've been saying this for a while, you know, talking about the bubble, you know, yeah. in, in China. Um, 
Now we saw a bit of a correction, you know, and then we saw yeah, um, only three days. Yeah, three days. Well, we thought you know that was something, but then of course we saw some you know government policy. Yeah, of course. Well, it really depends on government. If the government decides it's uh, too high, they they will introduce something to to cool down the market. Well, this is what I, I'm not uh, sort of understanding because the government, apparently, from what we know, wants to control the market and prevent yeah. it from going so high. But it seems like every time sort of they ease or, you know, there's some kind of liquidity movement, yeah. the market just surges again. Yeah, that's right. Well, I, I think what's happening is that the, uh, the Chinese economy is not doing that well. You have uh, uh, the, the increase in wages. I think in the past 10 years, uh, Chinese wages have quadrupled. Now it's... Uh, four times or five times that of Bangladesh and Indonesia. So Chinese manufacturing is not competitive. All the manufacturers, the labor-intensive manufacturing have moved to other countries. So the manufacturing sector is going down, going downhill, and you have uh, exports and imports declining. So you, you, you don't have a manufacturing sector to support the economic growth. And then your real estate sector is facing a crisis. So what can you do? I think the best way to do it and, and without spending a lot of money is to boost the stock market. But at what point does it catch up? I mean, those are <laughs> manufacturing sector and infrastructure. I mean, yeah. real estate, they're, they're vital, right? Yeah, uh, they're vital, but, but, the but they're doing very poorly after years of uh, overbuilding and uh, the, 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 the uh, supply and demand finally caught up and the prices have fallen. Well, well, last month, the prices stopped falling. <laughs> Peter, what do you think? Well, I, I think uh, Francis's last remark, I think, really uh, sets the tone here, for certainly for the real estate sector. We've seen in the last couple of months uh, volumes have picked up quite dramatically, mm. particularly in the Tier 1 cities and some of the bigger Tier 2 cities. Also, we've seen, uh, I, I think, uh, pricing uh, now uh, where we had uh, uh, 68 out of 70 major cities, we're seeing month-on-month price declines. That's now down to 48 or 50, seeing mm. month-on-month. So I think we're closing in on a bottom. I'm not saying we're in a turnaround, but certainly if we look at the property companies that are listed in Hong Kong last year, uh, the the top 30 companies listed in Hong Kong made 90% of their forecast uh, uh, revenues and forecast sales that they forecast at the beginning of the year, and that was supposed to be in a time which was a devastating time for the market. They did okay. Uh, so my sense here is that these uh, these companies are going to come out of this pretty much okay, but we are going to see more defaults, that's for sure. Mm. Now, speaking of a slowing Chinese economy, Shenzhen reported a first quarter GDP of close to 8%. And analysts are saying that, you know, its economy will overtake that of Hong Kong. Francis, <laughs> do you buy that? Well, I think, uh, well, don't forget, Shenzhen has a population of 10 million. So, so it's not surprising, I think, uh, if they, they surpass Hong Kong. Uh, Hong Kong's been mired in this slow growth of something like uh, 3% per annum for the past few years. So, uh, I, I don't think there is really that much room for Hong Kong to grow. And, uh, Hong Kong lacks, uh, uh, what you call the internet industry and all that is really completely dependent on the, uh, tourism, uh, finance. 
finance and property. So uh, other other cities are bound to overtake Hong Kong. Yeah, and uh, the model there, of course, used to be once upon a time cheap labor, but now it's all mm. about innovation, and you yeah. see bankers and tech entrepreneurs and you know hipsters and so forth. Mm. Do you think that this could mean that a Stock Connect program with Shenzhen is potentially far more exciting than the Shanghai Stock Connect? Well, I think what they are trying to do is that they are trying to include the small cap stocks into the Shenzhen Connect. I, basically, the, uh, what they want is really uh, uh, a, a bonus for the stock sp- speculators. Uh, look at last week, several stocks gone through the roof. And if that <laughs> comes true, I think uh, the regulators will have a lot of uh, – will be very, very busy at, at the end of the year. Sure. I just saw a report this morning, which is very interesting, that uh, a stock that was recently listed uh, was up, uh, limit up, 32 out of 33 days since it's been listed. <laughs> yeah, it's gone right. up 2,700 and something percent yeah. in, the, in the 30-odd days that it's been listed. <laughs> what stock was that? Can you I share? can't remember the name, but it was a little tech stock which yeah. changed its name from uh, mm. it did property into peer-to-peer or something something yeah. silly like that. Francis? Yeah, $400, I think, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Any thoughts on uh, you know what that stock is or other such stocks that we could be looking at these next few days well uh, 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 any well any or stock will be those are small cap or recently listed stocks uh, I think there is one uh, that's being listed today I think take that time uh, uh, I have looked at up the number I think that will that will search on the, on this debut Okay. All right, Francis, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That's Francis Lun of GEO Securities, a regular contributor to Money for Nothing. Uh, Look at the numbers now. The Nikkei is uh, down 0.07% to 19,608. Australia's ASX 200 is down 0.04% to uh, 5,629. In currencies, one euro is currently valued at 1.11 US dollar. The U.S. dollar is trading at 120.13 yen and one pound sterling will buy you 12 Hong Kong dollars and seven cents and one U.S. dollar and 55 cents. With the opening of all three stations on the MTR Island Line in Western District, some bus and green minibus services in the vicinity will be adjusted in phases. Changes will include frequency reduction, rerouting and amalgamation of services. The Transport Department has published booklets to provide information on the adjustments. For inquiries, please call the Transport Department's hotline on 2804-2600. The time is now 8.21 a.m. This is Money for Nothing and I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora. Greece paid about 750 million euros to the International Monetary Fund yesterday, a day before the money was due. And the payment averts the prospect of a default that had shaken financial markets. It's not yet the end of the road for Greece, but uh, at a Eurozone meeting in Brussels yesterday, the Dutch head of the Eurogroup, Heron Jesselbaum, said that uh, some progress was being made. We recognize that negotiations uh, have advanced. Some important issues uh, have now been uh, discussed in depth, but more time is needed to bridge the remaining gaps and to reach a comprehensive agreement. 
Um, we welcomed in particular the um, intention of the Greek authorities to accelerate the work with the institutions with a view to achieve a successful and timely conclusion of the review. Access Investment Management's uh, Chief Investment Officer, Johnny Mehta, believes that there's still a 20 to 30 percent chance of a Grexit. Bloomberg's Jonathan Farrow asked him about the likelihood of a casualty from all of this before a deal is reached, that casualty being a Greek bank. And I think actually the probability is quite high. Uh, only because I don't think any of the Greek banks at all are in any, are any fit state to continue at the moment. So I think uh, if you take Schobler's words about an accident, uh, uh, the unintended consequence of an accident would probably at least one or two of the Greek banks really falling by the wayside. And there's no resources to bail them out. Let's bring in our next guest, Ecognosis Advisory CEO, Andrew Freres. Andrew previously worked as the Chief Investment Advisor at BNP Paribas. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Thanks for joining us this morning on Money for Nothing. So, uh, you know, uh, 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 Johnny Mehta of Axis Investment Management was talking about uh, uh, the Greek banks, uh, you know, potentially uh, defaulting or you know, not defaulting, but sort of uh, falling apart. The question is, whose job is it to bail them out? Hang on a minute. There are three completely totally different issues here. The liquidity of the banks is uh, the job of the European Central Bank, and that is being dealt in a completely separate set of discussions. Let me just go back to the reality. Okay, the Greeks have just paid $775 billion to the IMF. For the month of June, they need to pay the IMF $1.5 billion. During July, they need to pay the European Central Bank $3.5 billion. And during August, they have to pay the European Central Bank $3.5 billion. Add them up together, and that is bigger sum than the $7.2 billion they have been arguing about. In other words, I'm not going to worry about uh, bailing out uh, the banks. I'm worrying out by the fact that even if the European Union give the Greeks all it is due on the table, and they are not going to, the Greeks still not have enough money to pay their debts by the end of August. Full stop. That's it. So the, that, banks, the banks is incidental. Okay. So that means that with this payment, uh, this first payment of the 750, um, that hasn't achieved anything? Or absolutely. Absolutely nothing. The, uh, the Greek state simply borrows money to repay its loans. This has been somehow escaped uh, you know, it has fallen off the radar as if giving them $7.2 billion is going to solve anything. It won't. It simply postpones the day of reckoning. And the day of reckoning is that the Greeks cannot create a primary fiscal surplus sufficiently big to not only amortize and pay interest, but begin to repay their national debt. Full stop. So the pressure is far from off. And, you know, the fact that Greece has paid this amount uh, today, so far, yesterday... Does the, what does this mean for within Greece? Does it mean that it won't have money to pay for pensions and salaries? Later well, the, the Greeks were able, in fact, to collect enough money, first by raiding private pension funds to an outraged scream of horror. Again, that's fallen off the radar scream. Mind you, they've taken a leaf out of the Argentinians. The Argentinians were adept in first robbing themselves before they robbed anybody else. So the Greeks first... They robbed private pension funds. And secondly, they forced municipal authorities, not all of them, mind you, to hand over their cash balances. Okay, so that dried up a potential source of money. Well, where do they go to next? And the answer is, is the European Union to lend them some more to repay back the European Union. It's completely absurd. 
Andrew, when, when is Europe going to realise that Greece is just another Argentina? It's not going to be able to pay. It's going to default. You might, you might hide it behind all sorts of fancy words, but it's, it's going to be in default. You've got 172 billion uh, government debt out there, and I think that the, the total adds up to closer to 300 billion. Correct. Uh, it, it, so you know, it, the sooner we realise that this is, uh, this is a default situation and work to uh, do th- something like the Brady Bonds or whatever, uh, surely that's, uh, the, the Europeans just need to recognize this. When are they going to do that? Uh, well, they're going to do it when they realize when after the successful negotiation, and I'm being sarcastic here, again, inverted commas, <laughs> uh, for the next two days, uh, conclude the Greeks will produce yet another list saying how good they're going to be. They're going to immediately not proceed with those because they've said they're not going to do it. Okay, and then uh, the European Union will realize they have just thrown another money into a, into a black hole uh, until and when, and I think it is rather sad. Look, I'm Greek, and I feel and I ache for what's happening, but if you borrow money, you have to repay it. There's no ifs or buts about it, so end of story. And I'm an investment banker first, and, uh, and then uh, a serial defaulter afterwards, so <laughs> leave, we leave this aside, is, is uh, that uh, the realization that they will never be able to repay, will never be able to repay unless they go through a phenomenally tough reform of the economy and they also begin to collect the money it's due to them. There is a colossal amount of unpaid taxes in Greece. It's not a matter of taxing more, it is a matter of collecting what it is out there and they just won't do it. A left-wing government that doesn't go after the big tax defaulters is a kind of a strange left-wing government. So, uh, Andrew, is that what they should be focusing on, in your opinion, collecting the tax that's due to them? Uh, First and foremost, and proceeding with the deep, uh, sort of solid and profound economic reforms of the economy, which they are not going to do. Okay, they've wasted effectively six years since 08 in simply squeezing the old, old age pensioners and doing absolutely nothing in reforming the economy. I mean, this, this has been all, it's very wise being, uh, uh, you know, uh, hindsight always has a 2020 kind of vision. So it's been very wise after the event. But the reality right now is, is the solution for Greece is to take the 324 billion of public debt, of which nearly 50% is due to the European Union, uh, set fire to it, okay, and under the strictest conditions that the Greeks will not be able to borrow not a single penny from anybody ever again to stay within the European Union and then set them in the course, okay, of, uh, of self-adjustment. Actually, it can be done. There is nothing to stop the Greeks of issuing their own script. You know, you can leave the European Monetary Monetary Union and still stay within the European Union because, for example, we have Denmark, we have Sweden and UK that have been doing this. So there is nothing sacrosanct about the Greeks going back into drachma and still staying within the European Union, except, of course, they're going to face an Arctic financial winter that they will not really know what hit them. I was in Argentina, actually. I was partially living in Argentina in the year 2001, 2000 to 2001, when the Argentinians, they didn't leave the euro, they left the US dollar, the equivalent of. Argentina was a completely dollarized economy and then went into peso. And believe me, it is a nightmare. It is a nightmare for which there is no awakening. And 14 years later, the Argentinians are still at it. 
All right, Andrew. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time, so we need to stop it there. That's Andrew Freres. He is the CEO of Ecognosis Advisory. Thanks for joining us this morning. A quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is down four-tenths of a percent to 19,544. Australia's ASX 200 down three-tenths of a percent, uh, excuse me, up three-tenths of a percent to 5,646. And Sol's Cospi also up one-tenth of a percent to 2,100. Gold currently stands at $1,182 per ounce and Brent crude oil at $64.81. Here we are at the end of the show, Peter. Uh, What should we be keeping our eyes on uh, later today? Well, uh, obviously, uh, we're we're still going to be seeing the effects of this uh, uh, interest rate cut in China um, over the next uh, few days, I suspect. And we may even see a bit more liquidity flow into the Hong Kong market as a result of that. Uh, So I think that's the the near-term prospect anyway. All right, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us as guest host this morning. That is Peter Churchhouse, and he is the author of The Churchhouse Letter. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, wrapping up for this morning's Money for Nothing. A quick look at the weather forecast before we depart. Uh, sunny periods uh, are apparent today. The maximum temperature will be about 28 degrees, and it'll be cloudy tonight. Currently, the temperature is 23 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity is 77%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Samantha Butler. The International Organization for Migration says thousands of refugees from Bangladesh and Myanmar are stranded at sea close to Thailand. A spokesman says many smugglers ferrying migrants from the ethnic Rohingya group are now reluctant.